0: I've known, I've known them for, for a number of years, many, many years, and uh, their passion for Jesus and for his glory is, is absolutely um, outstanding. Um, Al, can you, just, uh, can you just come up and we're going we're gonna to pray for you. Al's going to be continuing our Devoted Preach series. She's going to be looking at particularly the whole area of growing in compassion and generosity, and I know she's going to serve us really well. She has a deep love of the word of God, but also she's internalized it and worked it out in everyday life. So I believe we're not only going to be taught theologically, but we're going to be blessed and empowered and transformed as we come this morning with open minds, open hearts, expected to see what God's going to do. So why don't you reach out your hands towards Al. I'm going to pray for her for the blessing and the anointing of God. Lord, we thank you for John and for Al and the whole family. I want to pray right now for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to fall on our. I pray, Lord God, it will not just be the words that she says, but something of the anointing of who she is and what she carries that overflows and blesses us as a church. I pray, Lord God, that we will leave this room full of you. I pray for your blessing on Bexhill Venue. I pray for your blessing on Six O'Clock Church. We ask, Lord, for your name for your glory, Lord, and for our good. And all the church said together, Amen. Why don't we give Al a round of applause to welcome her.
1: Morning. Um thank you. And um, just as I find my feet um, and get used to being up here, um, my family really kindly bought me a Fitbit to help me get fit because I'm at an all-time low. And I've been slightly distracted by my pulse rate this morning, which has gone really, really high and it just keeps going higher and higher. So um, yeah, that's a little bit concerning. Um, but it has, it has been a bit of a distraction. Um, last week, Natalie talked superbly about God, about how he loves to rescue people, how he called people back that had gone into exile, how he opened blind eyes, how he set free the captives. And then Jesus, when he first started his ministry, talked about that's his plan, his mission. And that's what all of us have experienced the amazing rescue of God. We are a people who have been redeemed. We are a people who have been rescued. We are a people whose eyes have been opened to the grace and mercy and beauty of our God. Isn't that wonderful? So as it is a series this week we're looking at that's what's happened to us. We have been rescued. We have been lifted out of darkness. And then there is a call on us to have the same heart as God. To have to to cultivate a heart of compassion and generosity like God. It's best summarized in Ephesians, which I'm going to read now. chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses summarise the amazing way that we have been saved and the works God has for us, which includes reflecting his heart for the vulnerable So how do we cultivate a heart like this, one which is full of compassion and generosity? So the reality is that like most of us, I really want to be radical in my following of Jesus. I want to be full of his compassion for others all of the time. However, my life is, I'm a bit obsessed with my Fitbit, my life is more like my sleep graph on a Fitbit. It goes up and down, sometimes nailing it, sometimes not. But rather than being despondent about what we don't do, my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit will encounter us again with fresh faith and spur us on to love and good deeds. So for me, I I think the starting point is actually not the need. There is so much need in the world, it's actually overwhelming. The starting point, I think, is God. In fact, it's our starting point and our ending point it's God. So God is generous and compassionate. We see even in creation, I've been really struck by this this week, the vast generosity of God. The scale of creation, the sights, the sounds, the sheer beauty of it, that it's teeming with life. It's, it's, Stunning, and it declares the glory of God. God could have created a sort of drab grey world, but he doesn't. It is full of colour and vibrancy. It's extravagant, and it reveals God. It reveals that he is a generous, generous God, and we get to enjoy it. We get that when you've had a rough day and you're driving home, and the sunset actually is just entirely captivating. That's the grace of God on us. That's his generosity towards us. It lifts us out of that moment that we're in. It's God's grace again and again and again. It's his generosity towards us. And then Jesus. The only way, I think, to have a heart full of compassion and generosity is to keep encountering Jesus and being amazed by him. The birth, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus reveal the compassion and generosity of God. Humanity needed rescuing. And there was a moment within the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, which is like totally difficult to comprehend. It's so wonderful when God the Son said yes, yes to rescuing us. He didn't come to have a look and then delegate to somebody else. A perfect life was required. And God the Son came with determination and tenacity. And he lived in total obedience to the Father. He came to take our place. When we think about that, that God became man, actually a baby. He took on all of the restraints of humanity. It's awesome. I have a moment just to let it sit. God learnt to crawl, to walk, to talk. He learnt to read. He learnt to be a carpenter. The one who created the sun humbled himself that he would experience the warmth of the sun he created on his own skin. He would know hunger, thirst, tiredness, loneliness, sorrow, betrayal, He healed all that came to him. He gave dignity to those who had none. He had compassion and kindness. If you just flick through the Gospels, the books about Jesus, Matthew, well, the Bible's about Jesus, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John um, write the details of Jesus on earth as a man. Look at who sought Jesus out. People that knew they were in trouble. People that knew that they needed saving. How beautiful is Jesus, that those who know they need saving are drawn to him. They're not, they're not shying away, they're not moving away, they're drawn because of his love and his compassion. Then at the cross, we see Jesus giving his very all, his breath, his blood, his life. If that's not generosity, <laughs> I don't know what is. There's no holding back, no keeping something in reserve. It's outrageous. It's the most beautiful story of rescue ever told. In fact, it is the rescue story of which all others are faint shadows. And when we look at Jesus, when we look at his example, it makes us just want to pour it all out, doesn't it? To leave it all on the track. So being amazed by God's heart of compassion... His mercy, his generosity is where we start. It's what motivates us. It makes us different to what motivates others. He's our king. He's rescued us and we want to be like him. And just a, a point, really. Um, for those of you that are really on the front line, fighting poverty and injustice and really kind of at the coalface of that, there is a real danger, I think, of getting angry Dry, bitter, frustrated, especially if we think others aren't bothered. And it it can just make us intolerant of different viewpoints. For Jesus followers who want to grow in reflecting their heavenly Father, the safe place for us to operate from is awe of Jesus. Staying freshly amazed by his grace and compassion, it keeps our hearts soft It hems us in. It keeps us safe. Worshipful, thankful hearts protect us and allow us to stay involved in whatever God calls us to for the long term. So God is generous and compassionate. And we are called to be generous and compassionate. He calls us to be like him. 1 John 2 verse 6. Whoever says he abides in me ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Romans 8. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. There is a dignity in being about our father's business. We aren't saved to be an ornament. We're saved to be involved. And this has been understood by Christians for 2,000 years. Historically and globally, where you find the poorest, you will often find the church. This is our rich history. I was told yesterday about the 4th century Roman emperor who were so frustrated with Christians because they cared not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Christians are marked out as living, sacrificial lives. But it doesn't just happen. The Apostle Paul, talking about his work, says, I work hard with all energy, God's energy, that powerfully works within me. And it's no different for us. As Lou prayed earlier, The same spirit at work in Jesus who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. How amazing is that? And then we get to partner with God. We get to partner with him. And how do we do that? Well, for me, I think the first point is we pray and we ask God to give us his heart. To reveal his heart for others. We ask God to give us malleable hearts. And then we say yes to the opportunities he brings along, even when that's being out of our comfort zones. One of my dearest friends um, remembers praying as a teenager for God to break her heart for what he breaks his. Fast forward 30 years and she works and is a voice for some of the most vulnerable and unknown people in this country that she didn't even know existed 30 years ago. But she hasn't just got there. I've watched her say yes and yes and yes, again and again and again to God, as he has given her opportunities. She has been inconvenient. She has been put out. But she's said yes to God, and she has cultivated a heart of compassion. So we ask God, And then we think biblically about what we have, our possessions and how we use them, our homes, our time, our families. There's an understanding that they belong to God and they're on loan to us and that we want him to use them. We want him to use all that we have, don't we? It's not about holding things tightly. I really love my home, actually. It's a total gift from God. But I also love that I have friends who tell me it's their safe place. I love that. And I want that more. I'm struck by the fact that every act of violence, injustice, oppression is witnessed by God. There's no abuse of power that escapes his notice. And he asks us to be his hands and feet, to be involved, to care, to speak up, to seek justice and his righteousness on earth. So the other thing I do is I hang out with people that inspire me and challenge me. Iron sharpens iron. I deliberately choose friends that I'm a bit in awe of. Dave Holden talked at Stonely, a Bible camp, years ago about running partners Ask God for running partners. Ask God for people that inspire you. And I did. And he has. And the thing about, no one I just said about Jesus, that actually people who most knew they needed rescuing were drawn to him. They didn't, somehow being with God, it didn't make them feel bad about themselves. It made them just want to, want to know Jesus more. It's the same with people that pursue, I think, God's heart. I find that when I'm with them, I'm motivated. I don't think, oh, God, they do all that, and I don't. I think, no, I want to be like that too. So it's really important to ask God, I think, for people that motivate us, that we run the race together. We spur each other on. And I think just be prepared that it's inconvenient. We really are meant to be bothered by injustice. We're meant to be bothered, for example, that at the moment there are boys not safe in Europe who could be united with family here who are unsafe every night in refugee camps and our government won't let them come. I'm not really making a political statement. I'm just saying we should be bothered about that. We should be bothered that there are children unsafe and we should should do something about it. We should pray and we should petition. We're here to be his hands and feet. We're here to speak out for injustice. So we know that God is full of compassion and generosity towards us. We know that we are called to be the same. So in a sense, why the series and why this talk? And I think point three really is that, it's probably not on my slide, but point three is that there's a conflict. And it I think the conflict's about comfort, really. I don't think it's that we lack compassion. I think a lot of us are really stirred by things. It's just that we have quite a serious commitment to our own comfort too. Um, I do. I do. I'm so aware that the tide I swim in is saturated with making sure that we're all okay that, that I'm comfortable, that I have a good life, that I have, um, entet- well, I was thinking even TV packages, entertainment packages. There's it's nothing wrong with it, no, nothing wrong with it at all. But I wonder how much of my time it takes. I wonder if my time could be better spent. And I'm not trying to be heavy at all. I just think they're hel- helpful and healthy questions to be asking ourselves on a routine basis. Am I happy with how I'm using my finances? Am I happy that the balance of it is that a lot of it goes towards me being entertained and not much goes towards building the church? I'm not saying that's anybody here or even me, but it's a good question to ask. What are we doing with what we have? And as I say, they're not necessarily wrong, but they are a thief of our time and our resources sometimes. We only have one life to live, live out as an offering to Jesus. And what we don't want is regret. I have been um, thinking, about, thinking about this a lot recently because um, as a family, we're about to start, um, well, we've just been approved to foster. And I can't talk about fostering because we haven't done it. What I can do is tell you how I'm feeling right now. Um, And that, honestly, is just so full of trepidation and apprehension. And there's a bit of me that thinks, really, our children are now 18, 16, and 14. We don't need a babysitter anymore. We can just go out for a walk whenever we like. There is an ease to our life. There is an ease to, well, to all of it, really, and then ahead of us, they're They'd be going to university and moving away. And there's, do we really want to have our lives turned upside down? Do we really want possibly quite a lot of chaos in our actual home? Not going out to chaos and coming back, but actually in our home. And actually, can I even do it? Really, can I? Um, And I'm only sharing that so... I just think it's real, isn't it? Like, sometimes people talk about like, things you think, "Wow, no, 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 I am really struggling with this. There's a, it feels like we're on the edge of a precipice, and that really uh, the unknown is daunting. The unknown is really daunting, but the things that I'm bothered about, really, are on my own comfort. So what, why have we said yes? the motivation isn't actually the need. The motivation is Jesus. The motivation is that he gave everything. And he's our king. And he held nothing back in reserve. He poured it all out. And we sometimes think, don't we, oh God, thank you is not really enough. No, it's not. (laughs) That's why he calls for our lives to be lived for him. So our motivation, really, my motivation is one day I will see Jesus face to face. And what I want to hear above everything else is well done. What I want to hear is that he is pleased. I want my life to count. Don't we? We want our lives to count. So although... I'm really nervous and although I'm totally aware that I'm saying all of that to a lot of you that I don't even know and we might be truly appalling, but the motivation is Jesus and that's actually where the strength comes from as well. There's no way we can be risk takers if we don't know that our king is for us. He strengthens us. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. As we've already said, Holy Spirit lives in us. So in a sense, what have we got to lose? Look who's with us. I don't know how many of you like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm not a massive fan. But there's a scene where there's an army on horseback and the king comes in front and he rallies the troops and every time i watch it that there's something so encapsulating about the church because the king comes and rallies and the horses are stamping and they're ready for battle they're ready to swoop down this valley And the thing with us is what we're called to do is be the lifter of heads. What we're called to do is bring God's kingdom. We're called to talk about Jesus. We're called to say, come and meet the king who rescues. We're called to point to the one who is worth it all and who opens the eyes of the blind, who rescues, who sets Captives free. That's who we what's who we're called to talk about. And we're called to swoop down this valley and pull people out. And then they join in, is what Natalie preached last week. They join in the great rescue. But the only reason we do it is because where that army is, the king, he goes first. He goes first. That's our king. He goes first. I have a friend who fosters, and um, she's been ever so helpful to me. And she talks about how quite often she thinks, I can't do this anymore. It's a reality. I I can't do this anymore. It is asking more than I feel like I can give. And then she prays. And she starts off being, pouring that out to God. Because that's the amazing thing about God is we don't pretend, do we? We can come to God and say, this is where I'm at. This is my heart. This is how I feel. But we're not talking to an empty wall. We're not talking to a statue. We're talking to the living God. And he draws near. And her testimony is again and again and again. When she thinks she can't do it anymore, God brings her strength. And I think that's our invitation, really, is that what, what does God want to do with us? What does he want to drop into our hearts? I know that there are people in this room and in this church who God has spoken to, and they are running with all their strength, caring for a people group or um, a particular age group or whatever that God has burdened them with. But as we've already said, the need is vast. So what, what is God wanting to do with your heart? What's he wanting to say to you? And the reason we can do it, the reason we can have confidence, the reason that we, above all people in the world, can be risk takers, is because of Jesus. Because he's our king. And he never leaves us. There's going to be a couple of Stats come up oh, maybe not. Um, there uh, just, the are just three stats are pulled quickly off the Internet. There's so many. you could go down a rabbit warren. But in a the bands are going to come up, and really, I just want a bit of space. Read the stats, ask God about others, and some of you might already be carrying burdens. But let's let God have His way with us. God, we are so captivated by you. You are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us at great cost to to yourself. Thank you that you call us to be about your father's business. God, have your way in us. We want to have hearts that please you. We want to have lives that please you. Jesus, we want you to say well done when we see you face to face. Please come, Holy Spirit, and meet with us and shape us and be glorified. Amen.